0: listening to the green majority here on ciut 89.5 fm i am one of your hosts Aaron kaster uh live here at ciut and i am also joined by Stefan and dave hosteter your other co-hosts in the studio as well good morning doing. morning afternoon and good night because who knows when we're being played because this could be in space exactly mm. there you go uh
1: is there even time in space no uh, that's next week's episode oh, okay you're getting ahead of us <laughs> sorry So
0: uh, we have a roundup of news today. I believe we're also being joined by our correspondent as well uh, a little bit later in this section. But uh, it's basically all news today, folks. So uh, I'm going to throw it right to, I believe, Dave. You're going to start us off with a few headlines here.
2: Yes. uh, Tropical Depression Florence has uh, so far killed over 35 people and destroyed or damaged tens of thousands of homes as North Carolinian rivers continue to flood. The rainfall reached record highs earlier this week, and rivers were still running at dangerous speeds, as people were being rescued by helicopter and urged not to attempt to cross large bodies of water. Tornadoes were also touching down in Virginia, and hundreds of thousands remained without power food, water, and medical supplies are still being brought in by truck and helicopter as the beleaguered residents are beginning to assess the damages. Hurricane Matthew, which hit the same area in 2016 and was called a once-every-500-year event, has been quickly surpassed by Florence in terms of flooding, uh, turning uh, turning many suburban subdivisions into small islands. As with all such disasters, not everybody is treated equally, as two mental health patients in medical transport, both women, drowned in the sheriff's van they were traveling in, but the two deputies who were escorting them were able to be rescued. Folks in mandatory evacuation zones in South Carolina were not evacuated from prisons, but left behind bars making sandbags. Racial and class divides also become starker during disasters, as is obvious in Wilmington, North Carolina, where largely black and poorer neighborhoods are consistently left without power, without aid for quite a while, as whiter and wealthier areas are serviced first. It isn't that electricity and supplies are given out as they arrive, each community at a time, but certain neighborhoods are consistently helped last. A University of North Carolina report from 2016 characterized Wilmington schools as hyper-segregated in terms of race, income, and government priority. A wealthy neighborhood in Wilmington has a Whole Foods open where the community can gather together for food and shelter, whereas a poor neighborhood has a convenience store selling cigarettes and booze. One Wilmingtonian, Joseph Cobbs, told The Guardian, quote, "'Look at where you are right now. All the white people around us got power. We got none. No one comes to help us, so we help ourselves.'" The Reverend Dr. William Barber of the Poor People's Campaign agrees, having grown up in North Carolina and devoted his life to fighting for the poor, arguing that neoliberal policies have made it much more difficult to deal with these kinds of disasters, since poor people often cannot afford to evacuate, cannot afford to lose their less than living hourly wage, do not have health care, and in some cases, cannot afford equipment like televisions which would warn them of the storm. There is also the threat of the health risks of environmental contamination caused by the flooding, and 2,000 cubic yards of toxic coal ash—the residue of burned coal ash that contains the residue of burned coal that contains mercury and arsenic—are now leaking into water sources. A total of 200,000 tons of coal ash are vulnerable to the rising waters, the dump sites of which are conspicuously located in certain communities. Reverend Dr. William Barber told Democracy Now, quote, one of those areas is in Goldsboro. It's in the Neuse River. It's one of the sites that was already leaking that people have been fighting. And they tell us all the time, coal ash is not poison. And we say, well, then why isn't it in the rich communities? Why isn't it in the communities of the politicians? It is poisonous. It is dangerous. It was already leaking. It was already broken. It was already messed up. The storm has exacerbated this, but it did not have to be this way. Pollution is also coming in the form of overflowing pig excrement, as, as pits of hog waste are mixing in with the floodwaters. There are between 2,100 and 3,300 of these hog lagoons in the state of North Carolina, and many are close to the flooding rivers and lands. A 1999 hurricane in the same area caused tons of pig waste to enter the rivers, devastating fish populations and causing massive algae blooms. 21 such pits have already overflowed, and at least 36 of others are likely to follow suit. In 2017, Hurricane Harvey hit Texas, flooding chemical plants and causing health effects in residents including asthma, rashes, fatigue, and in one case, flesh-eating disease. The toxicity of the waters in North Carolina cannot yet be tested, as the flooding remains too dangerous. However, the Carolinas do not house the same kinds of chemical facilities as Texas. North Carolina's agriculture commissioner said the damage to crops was worse than expected, and 3.5 million farm animals have drowned in the state, nearly double the number who died from Hurricane Matthew in 2016. Video footage from direct action everywhere is showing dumpsters filled with the corpses of thousands of baby piglets, discarded like trash. Meanwhile, scientists are quite confident that a warmer climate causes hurricanes to dump more rain and stall over the same area for longer than would otherwise be the case. It has been shown that extreme rainfall events can be increased by over 60% for each 1 degree Celsius increase of sea surface temperatures. So it is conceivable that climate change increased Florence's precipitation levels by 50%. Many in the path of the hurricane are skeptical of climate science, however, favoring the opinion that the threat of climate change is being overblown in order to increase taxes and government control. Indeed, while 97% of scientists are in agreement about man-made climate change, 51% of Americans do not think humans are causing it. To quote Reverend William Barber speaking on the Republican establishment, anybody who denies climate change is a fool. And it is foolish to do it because your denial of climate change, your denial of health care, your denial of living wages, your denial of environmental protection devastates the poor before storms ever come. And then there is an additional devastation on top of it.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, So we said we'd cover Florence again this week, and I think uh, it's a pretty good, uh, wide-ranging look at it. And I think one of the consistent things you always come back to on the show is trying to figure out how to make – each one of these stories about yet another you know forest fire or hurricane or other forms of extreme weather um, not sort of sound like repeating ourselves over and over and over again. Like, mm. how do you keep reporting on the ongoing worsening devastation and of weather without it sounding like we're basically re- replaying last year or two years ago's episodes? Oh, yeah. I was going to
0: say though, st- you should be careful about saying that sort of thing, Stefan, or people might start to, like, wonder if we're replaying episodes.
1: Well, <laughs> exactly, right? Like, like, go back and listen to Today's an episode. Today's date is, Can is there a radio equivalent of holding up a newspaper? Right, exactly, yeah. Today's date is Friday, September 21st, 2018. Mm. Um, at least when we're Reporting this, and that's that's part of it, right? Is part of it is that like the it it is consistently the one of the big questions is how on earth do we somehow get people to feel and experience uh the existential threat that climate change is? And and these megastorms do provide opportunities to convey that kind of conversation, to bring that conversation forward. And and in in this kind of reporting, it's clear that like the The devastation and the impact is so wide ranging and, and and touches so many parts that there are little bits of of this uh, that we're able to we're able to you know that are that are new each each devastation does have some new little pieces to it but ultimately there are some overarching consistencies uh, you know the the it is so consistently true that you know that that wealthier parts of the uh, parts of uh, parts of the count- counties are 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 better off and less devastated than than less wealthy parts, uh, which is arguably what made Hurricane Sandy specifically somewhat uh, somewhat somewhat different because it you know because it made landfall in such, in such rich areas mm. uh, that there was a level of which that sort of even the establishment felt it a little bit you know your 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 second home got destroyed uh, or the or the bottom part of Manhattan was flooded, uh, whereas often here you know it, the, the the people who have the Means are able to put sandbags around their place and, and protect themselves in a way that that you really are not, and so it really exacerbates previous issues, uh, which is part uh, to sort of to briefly come back to something we've mentioned last week. Uh, it is it is part of the of the reasoning why the the I think the the non uh, the non environmentalist left, uh, like the labor union left, really needs to start. I think think the more we can get them on board with the concept that this does impact, uh, you know, that 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 climate change will impact the the, the poor and working class the most and first mm. is so important because uh, you need because we'll need everyone to, to tackle this problem and if 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 people start of dragging their heels because you know they because uh, they they want they want workers' rights before environmental justice. Uh, there, like, though you cannot have workers' rights at this point without environmental justice. Environmental justice is is sort of so all encompassing because of the all encompassing nature of this problem that you can't you can't work through that in that sort of way.
0: I'm sorry. Can I just really quickly want to. Um... Underline that I have got I, I'm not going to name any names or point any fingers, but I've been over the years in a number of you know various uh, environment meetings and labor and organizing for elections and whatnot. And I, I generally like to keep to the background and, and uh, enjoy a more of an observer sort of consultant type role. But I, I'm I'm in those rooms occasionally, and and I have to say that I have experienced that uh, to a shocking degree. What you were just talking about on a wide number of occasions. And it just seems to me that often uh, these are folks who have been uh, sort of lifelong union members. They've been in the labor movement in sort of the, not establishment left is in like when I normally mean that, but I mean like the sort of the established machinations of I'm an employee and I'm also a member of, you know, the NDP or whatever. And like, that's been my life, right? I work at the auto plant, I vote NDP, and I've been organizing for the union and the NDP for 40 years, just as an example, right? But what the the mindset gets in there was sort of this, hey, get in line mentality was what I've uh, uh, experienced, which is, you know, you come into one of those rooms and say, great, yes, we love that you want to vote NDP. What are you interested in? Climate change. Great. Okay, well, we're mostly concerned about all this labor stuff, but yeah, we'll add that to the bottom of the page. And then if you're actually, I think that's more important, they get angry at you. And because the whole mindset is they've been working for this their whole life and it's sort of like you can't butt in line because then you're going to make our thing take even longer. Um, And I can't unpack that right now. I don't even necessarily know that I can unpack. That at all, um, but
1: it's a real problem. Well, it, it certainly, <laughs> it's certainly a real problem. Yeah, it, it's certainly an interesting, and I think that's what we're seeing right now within the environmental movement. Is it's str- we're, we're currently tr- struggling? I think is an accurate term to. To convey the need uh, for and, and and I think what we, what is good news is that you are seeing uh, more efforts to work cross collaboratively You know the Jobs Justice and Climate March and sort of the People's Climate Movement, which is trying to sort of combine you know the 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 first uh, the you know, the frontline, uh, sort of uh, indigenous and, and racial justice folks with with labor with environmentalists all into sort of one one cohesive unit to tackle this issue. Because uh, that's and it was that is really the only way you're going to get here. Because you know it's not, because you know, it is, it, it is, it's so wide ranging, right? You have three point four million farm animals uh, have have drowned uh, in the state, uh, like, and that's that is a that is a that is a farmer's issue, uh, and and food scarcity will become an increasing issue as as climate change increases as well. Like as this goes forward, each new thing will become another part of, of the consideration. So we have to find a way to 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 bring. To bring forward a plan, I think that sort of allows us to work with all three of these of these uh, these sort of pillars, um, or else we're going we, we'll, we'll find ourselves, you know, siloed uh, and and then picked off. You know, like oh, we'll give you know mm. we'll give them something, but not this. And then, but we, we when you need such transformative change, uh, I think it's very difficult to to map that out and to map that forward. Yeah,
0: and it's 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 just that you know politics is a lot more triage than it is first come first serve. Hmm. And right now, uh, yeah, uh, sorry. <laughs> if it, it, I don't think you have to choose between the two. I, I reject that concept. Um, but for those that do, yes, I'm sorry. Being able to survive on planet Earth is more important than the dollar per hour you're paid.
1: Full stop. Right, well, and, and, and that really, you, that you like the... Like that's part of. And what's funny about this is that that's the sort of the the wider range version of the argument is how you end up getting into the sort of the the conversation with 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 more conservative environmentalists, which is like, I, it doesn't matter if you have jobs on a dying planet, right? Like that's the you know like this is this is this is the kind of thing that should really be broad bracing. And I think if we as environmentalists are going to have to choose what like or, or the find you know who to who to pull on side um, to get these sort of legislations passed, that. As as you get closer and closer, I think these types of fractions. We have a we have a story later that sort of identifies a little bit some of the fractions that you see. As environmentalists gain sort of power, uh, the the way you get things done becomes political. You know, the way you get to zero carbon will be very political, and and I think that it's it, that that's the. That's the next fraction, the next sort of difficult jump, is that we've sort of gotten to a place right now where slowly but surely I think the, the younger generation is finding this sort of broad-based uh, pro-labor, uh, pro-indigenous um, you know, uh, pro communities and frontline communities working in pro-racial justice uh, along with environmental messaging. Um but I think that we're going to see this sort of interesting difficulty uh, once environment if, once environmentalism starts moving forward about how we're solving this problem, you know, uh, you, you, and, and especially when you, we when start use, talking about using market-based solutions, because environmentalists have sort of given so much of the ghost uh, up to up to the. Uh, up, uh, up to uh, up to the conservatives about how we solve this problem, that that now the solutions are quite conservative, and you're sort of losing people on the other side. And it's mm-hmm. an interesting problem that we're gonna have to deal with. And I'm not 100% how sure how to deal with it. Um, but whenever these sort of stories that about, you know, like, a hurricane comes in, you sort of do see all the different ways this touches on different things. And the importance to sort of like, th- rethink how we're dealing with any part of these problems. Uh, we're coming up to the end, though. Uh, so I don't. I think we're going to come back right th- right off the bat with uh, with a ironic uh, ironic uh, piece about how e- whether or not the the uh, entire whether or not the entire Republican establishment is still happy to reject climate change. It sounds like uh, some of the companies that sort of are still funding climate denial are are using our money to. To protect themselves from the inevitability Ha. yeah exactly the nerve yes
0: <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, irony I'm going to chosen to play lovers in a dangerous time by Naked ladies <laughs> right I think we're back can you hear me in there yes oh yeah it's always a little bit nail-bitey when I'm doing the tech board yes. <laughs> mm. um, but I believe we're not only we we appear to be live we appear to have sound uh, action I think we even have Lauren Yes, we do. I did it right. Good morning. I'm going to stop talking now. Now that I successfully got you on the line. Well, uh, thank you for joining us, Lauren Latour, of course, our internationally Canadian,
1: international, whatever that means,
0: uh, <laughs> correspondent, uh, and, I, and I give you to our, our main host. Take it away.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, so we're going to cover two uh, two stories in this in this section. Uh, one quick hit about uh, big oil stealing our money, uh, and then sort of a deeper conversation, uh, sort of I alluded to in the first section, about what exactly to do about the fractioning of environmentalism as we start to succeed. But let's start with, let's, let's bring us all together first about all hating big oil, and then we can move on from there.
2: Mm. Yes, so uh, big oil companies are asking the government, uh, this is in Texas, uh, to build a 60 mile seawall barrier to protect their refineries and storms from rising sea levels associated with climate change. The uh, wall does protect many homes, buildings, and ecosystems, but mostly petroleum companies, as the original proposal was scaled back in order to focus more exclusively on the interests of the industries. The federal government is therefore being asked to step in to protect the interests of oil companies based in a state that has no plan for climate change mitigation, under the rationale that the entire American economy is at risk if these refineries are put in danger. CBS News reported oil and chemical companies uh, also pushed for more protection for surrounding communities to shield their workforces, but the deputy chief of project management for the Army Corps of Engineers, Upper Texas District, said, quote, not every property can be protected, and our regulations tell us what benefits we need to include, and they have to be national economic benefits. After Hurricane Harvey, Texas sought $61 billion from Congress to future-proof the state, they said, future-proof. The American Petroleum Institute argues that it already pays into various funds, and some companies do not need to pay for this protection themselves, while others claim they are looking for a free ride.
1: This is almost well, that's wor- easy. It's a free ride. Yeah, well, it's, it's arguably worse than a free ride, right? It's not even just it's not. It, it's it's literally like you invited a bunch of wolves to your party and then asked the state to build a giant wall around your party. So the wolves can't get in right. like and, you're, and the- you're still inviting them. It's though so you can continue your weird wolf. Like it's like it's and like then after you give the wolves their free
0: ride, they spit in your face <laughs> before getting out of the car. Like <laughs> it,
1: it's. Like I, it is amazing how consistently the conservative answer to apparently literally everything is more walls.
0: Well, it sounds like the oil, these oil companies are clearly too big to fail because everything, so much as a, a, a you know a pebble falls out of a wall somewhere, and the ca- taxpayers have to cough up. Geez, this is a really expensive, uh, really expensive organization to keep running. Apparently, every time anything happens, they're begging
1: for money. Geez. Yeah, like a, yeah, sixty-one billion dollars of what really is a subsidy, right? This is protecting. And what's interesting is about this was identified like 10, 15 years ago uh, when the last major hurricane hit. This, you know, hurricane Harvey was recently, like before that, there was another hurricane that just barely missed these exact refineries and Houston did nothing to deal with it. Like this is, this is a city that is consistently refusing to deal with the existence of climate, uh, of climate change, except now, for, except for using it to ask for money to build yet again another wall. Uh, quick thought from you, Lauren, before we move on to the, the sort of meatier topic.
3: Yeah, um, the phrase too big to fail that Saren threw out a couple moments ago um, is exactly what I was thinking when I was reading this article. This sounds painfully reminiscent of when big banks were bailed out in 2009 in response to the recession, um, instead of uh, homeowners being bailed out. Um, yeah, big oil has been deemed too big to fail. And that is a shame, <laughs> given the situation we're currently in. So yeah, the, the, exactly my thoughts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Too big to fail. And and also like literally causing the problem at the same time.
0: What is it? Just Uh just because you guys want to move on. I just the the other end of that, too, is that it's worse. Right. So with the banks, the problem was they shouldn't have been in a position to be big, too big to fail. right? Right. So the problem was we shouldn't have been here. And it really stings to bail them out, even though we really have to. We really have no choice. Mm-hmm. We, we being they, right? Uh, but it really stings because they totally created the problem in the first place. Right. This is quantifiably worse <laughs> because we don't have to keep them afloat. There are other options. This is a choice. So this is quantifiably like. An order of magnitude worse than bailing out the banks uh, well, eight, in 2008.
1: Well, what's what's weirder is that, like, you could theoretically make the argument that the bailing out the banks was a way to keep the system still going and figuring things out later. Uh, at some point, these oil companies will fail. There's no question. It, like at some point, the the money will have to stop flowing and their valuation will have to drop. There's not even a conversation here um, like because climate change exists, really. Um, but let's let's move on because I think the next conversation is a little more interesting. So uh, I teased us earlier about sort of the the difficulty of when of, of when you get things passed, how to have that conversation, and there was a, a big protest worth covering, Dave.
2: Yes, so a coalition of indigenous groups and environmental activists from all over the continent protested fiercely last week, singing songs and blocking the entrance to the global climate action summit in California arguing that California Governor Jerry Brown should not look to such market-based solutions as cap-and-trade to fight climate change, but should focus on eliminating fossil fuel dependence entirely. The summit was started by American power players in order to counter Donald Trump's rejection of the Paris Agreement, and to prove to the world that there are many American actors who are still interested in seeing that vision through. It can be argued that California represents a fifth of the world's economy, so governments and companies around the world watch closely what happens there. Democracy Now!'s Amy Goodman was amongst the protesters asking questions and getting quotes on their positions. Thomas Goldtooth of the Indigenous Environmental Network told her, quote, We've been mobilizing, building this movement, not only as indigenous peoples, but building a movement north and south of people in struggle, African-American, Latino, Asian, poor white folks, labor, our small farmers and peasants. We've been building a movement of real solutions and that's why we're here. We're denouncing the link with what's going on in there with by Jerry Brown, Michael Bloomberg, these corporations. And some of them are the major polluting corporations, like Chevron, for example, pushing a false agenda around privatization of air, privatization of trees, of the soil, called cap-and-trade, carbon offsets, market systems, carbon tax, carbon pricing. All that is just a distraction. It does not cut emissions at source. So we're here to demand real solutions that protect the sacredness of Mother Earth, protect our communities the protesters argued that cap-and-trade is an excuse to commodify the commons and give license to big companies to pollute. The coverage highlighted a rift between so-called big green advocates that argue for market mechanisms and increase nuclear and hydro projects and the frontline communities who have not benefited in the same way from industrial society and whose concerns continue to be sidelined in favor of the corporate interests that efforts like cap-and-trade aim to protect. Another problem pointed out by the anti-cap-and-trade activists is that multinational corporations are often allowed to purchase carbon offsets by owning pieces of land in other countries and keeping locals and indigenous people off that land in order to continue polluting elsewhere. Thus, a company can earn money and congratulate itself for reducing its emissions while bolstering its colonial control over other people's land. Such market-based schemes, therefore, do not take into account any notion of environmental justice of the Global Climate Action Summit, Mr. Bill McKibben stated, quote, The goal here is not to be Paris compliant. The goal here is to deal with the physics and chemistry of climate change. And one big part of doing that is stopping the supply of these fossil fuels, at least not expanding their operation. So all anybody asked was that California Governor Jerry Brown stop granting new permits and start taking out those wells that are right next to people's houses
1: yeah and so th- this is this is the thing right it's we, we live in a world in which you know here in Ontario we're bemoaning the destruction of the cap and trade program uh, and then in in California the cap and trade program is sort of being you know is, is 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 being attacked for for its for its for its flaws it's legitimately legitimate flaws and it is it, it is consistently interesting to ask yourself sort of where where and how to walk that line um but I do think there's a I do think the part of me that really strikes me is that there's a level of which it feels as if the, the sort of the larger, the sort of, you know, the Jerry Browns of this world are trying to create a world where slowly but surely the economic interest will be to then destroy the fossil fuel industry, whereas the people sort of right there right now are like, no, 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 no. We need to do this immediately and, and stop digging these wells, right? It's sort of the same idea that Trudeau is sort of bringing in of like, we can still have pipelines, but as long as we have a, ca- a price on carbon like the this trade-off seems to be happening a lot of places where as a sort of as cover for 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 the consistent use of fossil fuels the um, and and so like that's the and that's that is part of the question like like you know w- what will it take for a leader to really actually sort of br- boldly take some, some 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 true steps to to reduce to reduce emissions and reduce to reduce other things uh, but I'm Lauren I'm sure you have some thoughts on this one
3: um, a couple yeah <laughs> um, I think one of, one of the sort of um, things that really when I was reading this piece um, really sort of just exemplified the idea that the, that these leaders for all their good intentions really just don't get it uh, it was a, a small quote from Bloomberg that they featured saying environmentalists protesting an environmental conference this is like people who want to build a wall along a Mexican border to keep people out from a country that we go to for vacations and obviously I know he's not he's not saying that these indigenous um, water and land protectors and environmental activists are akin to people who want to build a wall. But, but that is sort of fascinating, the fact that, he, that there isn't sort of even like the semblance of respect or, or the notion that, that, that he should be listening to these people, that they might have the right idea instead of him. I think, I think oftentimes we get sort of bogged down in the idea of the practicality of, of market-based climate solutions and and continue to ignore the fact that like reformation and tweaking isn't going to suffice here the the idea that we have to completely overhaul and completely rethink our relationship with this planet and and our, our economic systems and our societal structures and and shift from this property-based paradigm that we're locked into um, and shift to something that sort of goes beyond the idea of, of sustainability as, as, as a buzzword or, or or a way to approach an economic system and and we really do have to do so. Um, taking the lead from Indigenous communities because, like one of the um, one of the folks protesting um, the conference said, it's they've been doing this for for thousands of years longer than we have. They have relationships that we can learn from. Um, yeah, I don't know. That was, that was yeah, yeah. sort of my first
1: thought. Yeah, totally. And I think the I think what in, what's interesting what happens uh, somewhat depressingly uh, right now is that. The environmentalists are so desperate for someone in power uh, or someone with power to to pay attention to them, basically, or pay attention Mm -hmm, to this sort of climate mm -hmm, change that mm -hmm. you will deify almost anyone who's even vaguely listening to climate change. Like, like Michael Bloomberg is not our god. Like this is a man. Like this is a man who made billions no. of dollars in a variety. Like you know. Like this is he is not the person to be looking to to be having headlining this kind of conference. Like he probably put a ton of money in this conference, and so he's probably like that's probably partially why he's on that stage. But it's certainly it's certainly kind of ridiculous to to presume that uh, to presume that the. That, that this is a solution, that that, that, that this is the next, like that. Michael Bloomberg is going to is going to solve this problem. If Michael Bloomberg is mm-hmm. going to solve this problem, he would have done it. He's rich; he could. Like exactly. at, at this point, I think if rich people were going to solve this problem, they already would have because they have all the power. Maybe since the problem isn't solved, we should listen to the people who aren't rich. <laughs> like it's, exactly. It's, it, I don't
3: know because I go. No, I just, yeah, billionaire philanthropists aren't going to be what saves us. And as long as we continue to have that mindset that all we need is an enlightened despot to come in and, and sweep us off our feet and, and use their magic money to fix all the problems. Like, like we're, we're just going to continue to perpetuate the same, the same mistakes.
1: Yeah. It's, 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 exact same as, as, as for how often, um, it somewhat who the, richard branson same thing richard branson oh, no. came in okay. consistently and kept saying oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna revolutionize the aviation industry and make it green uh and then he put like a couple million dollars into into uh, trying to find a jet fuel that wasn't that wasn't just oil and failed and now but now continually manages to show up at these conferences as if he's actually doing something
0: <laughs> he's the guy that spent millions of dollars on a pr campaign to green the the air, aviation industry like that
1: yeah. the 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 the, the the
0: PR of it works even if the idea isn't successful.
1: Yeah. Like, and while literally expanding and he at the time was expanding what short air travel, which is perhaps the most damaging type of thing. So like, this is the thing, right? It's like, it is, it is, it, there is certainly a, a, a reckoning to try to figure out, uh, how, how you how environmentalists are able and I think that's that's the I think the the answer is a sort of broad based getting everyone on board and, and sort of moving forward as a, as a people's movement um, because so clearly the the if the capitalists were going to solve climate change uh, you know Exxon and these massive companies would be finding other ways to create energy um, you know it, it speaks to, it still speaks volumes. Well, the only car company I've heard call itself anything but a car company I think it was Nissan who, who re branded as a as a transportation company and 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 that kind Hmm. of and 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 the fact that like the fact that all of these major industries are basically refusing to give up the concept that they are despite the fact they must know they're dying like I, i i refuse to believe that there is an Exxon executive who presumes or presumes that oil will still be used in 2100 and unless they are just flat out denying climate change like there's not a there's n- there's no ver- middle version of this argument really, um, unless they're investing of course in I guess in Jude Jude and Jew engineering and their presumption is that they'll spray you know aerosol into space.
0: I, I just wanted to one up something you just said really quickly, Stefan, which was you were saying uh, you know capitalism can't solve climate change. I, I want to upgrade that one level to. Uh, we've had clim- uh, 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 capitalism this whole time. So if it was possible for capitalism to solve climate change, it never would have existed in the first place. When have you ever heard of a problem where someone goes, oh, no, a problem. OK, you see all that stuff we're doing. Keep doing it exactly the same. And there we go. <laughs> not only will that not make the problem worse, it will. This is the best possible way to solve the problem. Yeah. Just it, just think about that one.
1: It, for it, is, well, it is quite literally you know, the idea of like digging yourself. You're digging yourself out of a hole. Right. You're already in the hole and you keep digging. You know, and, it, 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 and I think so what's, and this is a, but I do think this is an interesting sort of tension and, and, and requirement to sort of to, to walk forward with is, is how do you how, and how do we as, as large I think Bill McKibben is an interesting example of someone who's managed to sort of pull uh, him his voice up to a, a place where, where he's able to sort of be at like he wasn't allowed in the conference that's actually that's an irony of this conversation uh, was that he was not one of the 300 delegates that they chose to have in that room Um, and, and I think that's the, I I think the fact that he, that, that even, you couldn't even get Bill McKibben into that room who like, while like, like (laughs) that is, that is saying something, I think, you know, Bill McKibben is not the, the most radical person you've ever met in the world. He's like, you know, he's practically a hundred, you know, there's, there's enough pieces (laughs) of here that, that, that if you cannot have someone like that in your room, you're probably making the wrong room. Um we're we're coming up a little bit into the into that break, but we do have about three minutes left beforehand. So Lauren, you got any last uh, last shots on even the first section uh, or anything we might that you want to cover?
3: Um something totally different. Amazing. Uh news this morning that broke. Um Trudeau is giving the National Energy Board twenty-two weeks to redo the KM assessment. Oh. Um and they're going to appoint a special marine advisor and the government will provide evidence to the National Energy Board about protection of southern resident killer whales because, you know, charismatic megafauna. And um, and it's government oceans protection plan because they can't stop talking about their ocean protection plan. <laughs>
1: That's so, all. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, great. Great. Straight so, out of
0: the Justin Trudeau, if it's broken, don't fix it uh,
1: playbook. <laughs> Justin Trudeau is, is clearly decided that uh, I love the idea of giving a timeline for how long they get to review it when the first original problem was that you didn't consult people effectively and yet he's basically saying say yes to this in 22 weeks yeah. like, that's yeah. not how consultation <laughs> works I don't know how many times you can say that's not how consultation works uh, but it is still baffling it seems
0: also and this is a very silly point but like 22 weeks why didn't you just make it five million minutes like you're just <laughs> making a, a number sound larger than it really is in any meaningful way 22 weeks is is not a meaningful amount of time to redo an entire process like this so just it's just silly marketing I'm sorry small
1: point but it's
0: just it's so <laughs> obvious 22 weeks. That's like you know save three thousand cents on your next hamburger. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. The so 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 thanks Justin Trudeau for consistently doing exi- like I feel like every once in a while he's 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 right on point for the rest of it. So I feel like he's he, he's he, like Justin Trudeau would have fit right beside Michael Bloomberg, uh, have making a joke about how environmental protesters don't understand what what, what they're all doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems pretty. That seems pretty clear to me at least um all right uh thank you so much lauren for joining us uh we'll go we'll head off to our next music break uh and have a, have a wonderful day yeah thank you as well bye
0: so uh we're going uh into now uh i don't know if it's really on topic because i don't know that i really understand the song in a deep enough way to say that this is on topic but uh it's from the title mine i was thinking very much about this so this is alice glass for our second and final music break today All right. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful, very appreciated community radio partners internationally in outer space, but particularly in Canada. You can also listen to the podcast in case you missed... Any of the rapid fire commentary, we do try and slow down, folks. We promise, just can't just can't help it sometimes. I feel like
2: you're getting better uh,
0: sometimes, <laughs> unless I'm doing a read in, and then I'm actually <laughs> trying to go as fast as I can because it's just kind of fun. <laughs> um, yeah, the, that was the read in. So that was uh, right. our music breaks. We got our last little music ex- uh, music section here, and uh, I think Dave. Once again, I think the floor is yours.
1: Yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna do a. So we briefly mentioned mm. uh, we briefly mentioned the very off top, off top of the show the impact of Hurricane Florence on agriculture, uh, and there's a couple other stories sort of looped in to that, uh, including you know the, the some floating pigs, I
2: believe. Uh, more floating pigs.
1: More floating pigs, uh, which is a, a great name for, I feel like that's a great name for a memoir, More mm-hmm. Floating Pigs. Uh, so let's hear about, uh, actually, no, that's second. So let's hear about the first one.
2: Yeah. This first story is not about floating pigs. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, a new academic report from the Rise Foundation is endorsing the Greenpeace position that the EU must cut its meat and dairy production in half by 2050 saying the industry needs to reduce its emissions by 74% and its use of nitrate-based fertilizer by 60% over the same period. Europeans apparently already eat more than double the dietary recommendation for meat. The study's proponents are advising the subsidization of meat for poorer people while discouraging overconsumption in general the current Agriculture Commissioner for the EU, does not agree with the study's conclusions and instead wants to look for efficiencies. But it isn't clear what this nebulous term means, as some sustainable farms are less profitable, but possibly better in terms of energy and nutrition. European farmers are not excited about this news, arguing that their sector is being singled out while nobody questions the need for people to fly abroad all the time for vacation. The Guardian reports that, 80% 80% of the world's farmland is currently used to feed animals whose meat accounts for only 18% of global calories.
1: Yeah. So this is a, a, a rare, uh, a rare shout out to the, to the, to the vegan activists who listen uh, to the show. Um, obviously we've had a, we've, we've had a number of pieces about that, uh, throughout our, throughout our time here. Um, and, and I don't think any of us on the show fully think that, that, Rec- that that you know mandated veganism is the answer. However, unquestionably, uh, the system that has our, our 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 meat industry is is incredibly incredibly danger- dangerous. And and the less we eat meat, the the better for the world. Um, and the, the 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 specific thing, especially I want to hear is like it's amazing how consistently people use the word efficiencies uh, mm. to mean whatever they want. You mm. know, like like
2: cleaner, faster. More productive.
1: Yeah. But when you're, when you're talking about agriculture and land, like the nitri- the, the, the nitrogen cycle is something you have is way more important than efficiencies. Mm. You know, if you're if you're messing up the nitrogen cycle, you, you are having a much, much deeper problem than than what you might get an extra dollar, excuse me, extra dollar or anything like that. Like, if, like, you, you know, what's crazy efficient. The the ability of how much corn the United States makes. Uh, from a dollar in, dollar out perspective, do you know what makes absolutely no sense and is destroying the planet? The corn industry in the United States, <laughs> like it is, it it is, it is being creating the most amount of food for the least amount of input, is 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 very short sighted. I think is the answer. It's like you know, it, it is it's the kind of thing that like you can it works for a short period of time, but then you know then you get a slightly weird temperatures and suddenly the whole the whole industry falls down.
2: A day without my corn syrup is like a day without my board. <laughs>
0: Uh, d- just really quickly on that, but more of a side comment for the, for the listeners on this one. But like w- if you were to discuss this with your friends and family uh, or this type of thing, this is a really good example of uh, a lot of people when they're discussing that sort of thing in conversation. I hear it all the time and I correct people. Even when it's a conversation, I'm not in. Not much of a <laughs> I will stop strangers in the street. It's true. But, uh, but for instance, so the thing you just said, well, you know, it's more efficient to do this. And then someone sort of on the quote unquote the left or playing the environmentalist side of that conversation will say, yes, but we have to take into account all these no, the answer is no, because those environment like the, the nitrogen uh, uh, cycle things, there are costs associated with those things. So the answer is, no, it isn't. You're wrong. Not yes, but. Mm. And, and it's really important. It's really, really important that, uh, rhetorically to do that if you're going to have that conversation, um, that math is math. And when you when you're saying something's cheaper, it either is or it isn't. And in most cases, it's actually not. And you have to say that just a quick personal uh, pet peeve aside.
1: Yeah. Like there's certainly like the, the the ways in which our, 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 our agriculture system is being exposed and is in danger due to climate change are the are it's largely in part to many of the things we're doing to try to get as squeeze every individual every the maximum of calories per dollar um and and really what, what's what's clear here from this kind of study is how much opportunity there is to have so much more food if we stopped feeding it to so many animals who are keeping in these like truly uh, atrocious situations you know like decrease meat consumption decrease the amount of factory farming that we're doing of these animals and and suddenly a whole bunch of food is opened up to to be feeding to people and and then and and you're able to then it no longer matters if you're trying to get you know the max possible amount of yield every single time and you're able to create these systems that are back into more in line with general cycles that actually restore the earth that actually repair our nitrogen cycle and actually you know in and, 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 and actually work in harmony rather than you know what we're doing now is the is the is the agriculture version of basically you know stripping out all the nutrients and having to pump it in other places and and, and this is the this is a serious serious problem. And so, if we're looking for places where we can find extra food to use, it is here. It is the meat industry. Like that is the way, that is where ec- food can be used that it can be shifted into humans. And we can actually find a way to, to keep prices at a, at an extent because you can't you, know, you cannot raise prices to not allow for not allow for people to afford the things that need eat. People need to eat, but there needs to be a solution here.
0: Uh, Another quick unplanned aside. I'm sorry. I didn't even flag the story because I wasn't planning on talking about it, but it's so relevant to what you were talking about. If you check the Green Majority Twitter feed, it's there. I didn't even pull it up. Uh, But there is a major uh, uh, sandwich chain, we'll say. I don't want to give them any advertising on air uh, That uh, has been doing fabulously well and apparently completely sold out and and none left. And it was a smashing success for their new um, like veggie burger that tastes like real meat. Theoretically, mm. I can't say that it does. I can't say if it's good. But just as far as like a market point of view, these things are happening and it seems like they're popular.
1: Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, exactly. Stay
0: tuned. Like, we'll talk about it more later. But I just wanted to mention as we pass by.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, all right. So because we don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about more pigs. Uh, let's get there.
2: <clears throat> yes. A, uh, in another piece of sorry news for European farmers, an outbreak of African swine fever is ravaging pig stocks in several nations as the virus is very hard to kill and once detected, an entire herd of pigs has to be slaughtered. Over 600,000 pigs were culled in the last two years to try to stem the movement of the virus, but it has nonetheless made it into China, which is home to half of the world's pigs. China's appetite for hogs has ramped up industrial practices, which have led to huge green blooms in some of its most famous lakes in a process called eutrophication. Pig farms often dump waste into rivers which flow into larger bodies of water that turn bright green and heavily textured with hair-like algae. The same phenomenon occurs in many places of the world where where animal waste ends up in the water and provides a lot of nutrients for such plants to thrive on, blocking light that would otherwise reach other plants under the surface. Industrialized farming has caused pollution problems in China for some time. In 2013, for instance, 16,000 dead pigs, some infected with viruses, floated along the Huangpu River and into Shanghai. It was also found that in 2000, 30 to 70% of manure was being regularly dumped into rivers, compared to 5% prior prior to 1970, when most farms were owned by single families. Algae is so prevalent now that instead of burying themselves in sand... Tourists to the southern beaches snap pictures of themselves buried in heaps of fluorescent green cotton candy-like algae. Consolidating small farms into larger ones has been a part of a government strategy to alleviate poverty, but it has led to increased pollution as farms still can't afford to process the pig waste in an environmentally friendly way. Wang Jing, the head of Greenpeace East East Asia's Food and Agriculture Program, says, Generally, the way the government tries to solve water pollution is to shut down small animal farms and to make them into bigger factories. But this disrupts the pre-existing loop of agriculture in China, which is to recycle animal waste into fertilizer using traditional methods. Some of the biggest farms do have industrial converters on site, but they're disincentivized to use them because they're not legally obliged to, and the cost of running them the machine costs more than the value of the fertilizer produced.
1: Yeah. So again, this is this really is this is a problem that exists everywhere. Uh, industrial agriculture and especially factory farming of of a- animals, specifically, uh, is truly truly detrimental. And and the uh, the the amount of how difficult it is to get rid of that waste and all the the, the, the cascading implications mm. uh, of, of of cheap uh, cheap meat is is are, are far reaching and incredibly damaging. Mm-hmm. and and that is that re, that is that is true um, it, specifically when they are farmed in this sort of industrialized way uh, you know there's there's certainly it' it's been clear over history that, that humans have been able to to, to 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 you know to have access to to meat from other animals in in, in ways that are that is much more you know Connected to the community, and you certainly see that still to this day in many indigenous communities. Uh, but like industrial agriculture ag and factory farming of, of of especially cattle and pigs, uh, and to a slightly lesser extent, still but still to an important extent, um, chickens, is is a huge, 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 huge problem, um, and and that's that that's like. Again, like I think when we start actually dealing with climate change, like truly dealing with climate change, there are going to be a bunch of cascading effects of how we're going to then resolve a lot of the problems of this world. You know, as as food becomes more expensive because of because of the fact that, you know, uh, that solving climate change requires you know prices of energy and stuff like that going to go up um, or at least that price of transportation to go up because of because of the ways of doing it the solution is going to have to be something else has to give. And I think it's this, this going to have to be that giving up this concept that everyone is entitled to a $2 hamburger is, is a, is, is, a, is probably the answer there. Mm. Um, you know if there's there's certainly other ways of doing it you should consider a, a sort of the factory you know the factory created meat and stuff like that maybe but I'm not that's sort of way so far off I don't really even feel like it's worth talking about
0: it, it's been about a year but t- technically somebody's still spending millions of dollars uh, it's a year since we've heard anything about it but it's technically someone's still spending millions of dollars growing actual meat from cells in a lab oh, yeah. So yeah those no
2: mounds it, of flesh.
1: yeah uh,
0: I still say I would totally be
2: fine with that personally. I'd be down for that
1: yeah it's like a certainly it's certainly an interesting opportunity um, and speaking of technology we have two slightly more positive stories uh about things interesting technology that exists now that is probably still way too far away off to bet on but uh but at least is interesting nevertheless
2: yes uh germany has launched the world's first hydrogen-powered trains two of which are now operating and an untold number are ready for serial production the trains run on fuel cells, making energy from hydrogen and oxygen, while giving off steam, and can run for a thousand kilometers on a single tank, which is a mileage comparable to the old diesel trains. Extra energy is stored in lithium-ion batteries on board. The hope is that the f- is that the fleet of diesel trains can be entirely replaced by this new zero-carbon technology. The company Alstom is currently prepared to deliver another fourteen such trains by 2021. The trains are more expensive to produce, but cheaper to run, and many other countries, including Canada, are also looking into the technology. In Canadian tech, the Halifax-based company Carbon Cure is continuing its market success with a technology that reinforces concrete with carbon dioxide, thus turning carbon emissions into a useful non-polluting product. The uh, The added carbon dioxide reacts with the calcium in the cement and turns into a mineral that reinforces the material and also means that fewer resources are used in the process. All in all, the process produces a tenth of the carbon emissions otherwise used in making concrete and could, if adopted widely, reduce emissions by 15% worldwide over the next 12 years. The company's founder, Rob Niven, says, quote, The public and some of the business communities may think taking action on climate change could mean a price on carbon that could increase their costs of operation. On the other hand, some individuals believe that products that are climate-friendly may be inferior. Both of these could not be further from the truth. Niven argues that carbon taxes provide a stimulus for companies to innovate. Carbon Cure charges monthly licensing fees for the technology and the service, which saves businesses the upfront cost of equipment acquisition.
1: Yeah, and so this is sort of an example, a couple examples of, you know, I I would say I really do think that even as like once you hit a level of of actually responding to climate change in, in a way that sort of we're seeing you know the, a true a true rolling uh, sort of efforts things like. The ability to take carbon and turn it into cement uh, in some capacity will be an important way to because, like, because what's important to think about here, and again, there's a I do not think this technology is the solution to actually getting us to zero carbon uh, in, in any real way. Um, but I do actually think that once the conversation becomes, and hopefully we get there, to, to actually start decreasing and become net negative carbon. Uh, because you know we can't like even living at like we we need our goal is to get below you know below 1990 levels of of uh, of emissions in the atmosphere you know we can't just wait uh, and presume that we're going to survive at all at where at now or as it's increasing the, the goal at some point will have to be actually removing even more uh, than is currently there currently uh, and so. It's it's interesting when you get these things and, and sort of using them as a pitch for for more market-based solutions while also sort of criticizing the the the, the ability to get everything done with market-based solutions, um, and yet I do think that this kind of technology that is able to to take carbon and, and turn it into something useful will be necessary for the world to begin to start being a, a actual ne- negative carbon world. And they, are we 10, 20 years away from that? No, uh, no, we're much further away than that, than I think. But I also think that we could, we're also going to have to see a pretty quick transition somewhere.
0: I was we have a, literally one minute left and I, I wanted to ask you kindly for the last word today because I very much, uh, would like to, in the future, um, Uh, I I, if uh, a longtime listeners of the show will know that I'm very very interested in technology. I love when we talk about technology stories and when we have tech people on It's that's always my my favorite thing that and like really deep uh, big picture public policy. I would love uh, if we solve climate change and this show uh, has nothing to do but talk about all the really amazing like it it sort of becomes like a a pop technology show because of all the cool stuff we're doing with carbon and all these things Um, that would be my best dream ever so like let's go folks let's hurry up and solve it because I want to (laughs) talk about something else Uh, Uh, technical last word Stephen
1: technical last word for me just because uh, uh, reporting this morning in depressing news uh, that the Duke Energy says a dam is breached at a plant in North Carolina so coal ash may be flowing into Cape Fear River so Mm. what Everyone was worried about did happen at around eight thirty four this morning,
0: but I'm sure it's fine. I'm a sure good green fine. week, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you real soon. Cheers.